We're going to jump right into the text this morning for today's message. So I invite you to turn, if you've got your Bibles, to John 14, uh, beginning at verse 15. I'm reading from the uh, ESV. So we've been going through, line by line, through the Gospel of John. And we have a bit of a detour because of Christmas, and then, you know, had a week off. And then last week I talked about some, um, some much-neglected facts about what Jesus' earthly life would have been uh, like. But, uh, and some of that kind of figures in later to some of the significance of today's message. Um, but it will, what I will say by way of an introductory word is that um, it's about the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do in our lives? Now, when things are inside of you, they are important. And so your heart, like if some alien comes and puts his weird hand in your chest and pulls out your heart, sorry for the image, you know, you are going to die. That's a very horrific thing. Um, also, if like your, your large thigh bone kind of somehow is not in your body, you're going to kind of crumple onto the ground like this, you know, you know bag of jelly or whatever. Um, but also there's things inside of us which aren't, aren't nice, the things that have come into, into who we are, into our bodies, like a tumor. And uh, that's a really horrific thing. It's hard news to get. And if if that happens to you, it's, it's not like you just treat that apathetically. You want to learn more. You want to do something. You want to get rid of it or make a plan, right? Uh, also, there's other things inside of us that you can't see, so joy is something that might be inside of us. Um, what also might be inside of us is peace. So maybe you're anxious and you've been up in the night and you're worried and all of a sudden you get peace of mind. That has a lot of value in your life. It's something that is inside of you. Well, the New Testament teaches and Jesus teaches is that when you are a genuine disciple or follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit starts to live within you. And so that is very, very important. There's no other, you know, there's nothing more important than that about someone living within you as a disciple of Jesus. And so we're going to talk about that today because the Holy Spirit's either neglected or misunderstood, or we think that, okay, I have a nice, you know, I like God and I have this nice, warm, cozy feeling inside me. It must be the Holy Spirit. Well, Maybe, not necessarily. And so, who is the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do? So I hope this is a time of teaching and some clarity. And I really think that when we understand these things, it's going to give us help and encouragement. Help and encouragement for the journey of life. Who likes help and encouragement? I do. So uh, we're going to jump into the text together. So uh, chapter 14, beginning at verse 15, the immediate context is that Jesus is talking with the 11 apostles. So we're in that phase leading right up to his betrayal, his, uh, his torture, and his crucifixion. And the reason it's 11 apostles and not 12 is because Judas has already left the room, as you will recall, uh, to do his work of betrayal. Jesus has asked him to do that quickly. And so Jesus is teaching about uh, loving one another as he has loved them. He's given them this new commandment. He's giving them uh, this very powerful Example of humble, self-sacrificial leadership. He washes their feet. He says that no one comes to the Heavenly Father except through him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So that's the text leading up to here. Okay, so verse 15, he continues to teach. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive... Because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Pause. So there's a lot in these three verses, and so we're actually going to spend the bulk of the teaching time. We're going to go to the end of verse 31, but we're going to spend the bulk of the time in these three verses because there is so much in here. So first of all, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Notice it's a conditional statement. If you love me, 
Right, you'll, you'll do various things. Maybe you'll wear a, a cross around your neck. That's great. I've got a cross. Maybe you've got one of those Jesus decals on your car. Maybe you bought the T-shirt. Uh, you come to church services. You do nice things. You volunteer. All those things. That's great. Those are expressions of our faith. But when it comes to love, you know, we need to say this because quite often we think, oh, it's just some warm, nice feeling. If you love Jesus, you will keep his commandments. Now, as I say that, I need to reiterate that we're all sinners, we're broken, we make mistakes, absolutely. So this doesn't mean we're perfect, but the idea is that we are sincere in learning the commands and teachings of Jesus, and we are committing ourselves uh, to living by them. And so we, we make a mistake, or we break a commandment, and we, we ask God's forgiveness, we repent, we turn, we start a new day, and we, we are sincere in our commitment. But as a part of that commitment, we're learning, okay, if, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Well, what are the commandments and teachings of Jesus? Well, what does Jesus say about loving other people? What does Jesus say about loving even your enemy or, or praying for people? What does Jesus say about worship and how the attitude we're to have to worship? What does Jesus say about sexual purity? What does Jesus say about helping uh, the poor? What does he say about justice or compassion, all these sorts of things. You will keep my commandments. Uh, there was a, a, at the time, he was a very influential uh, figure. He was a monk. He wrote a book called The Ladder of Divine Ascent in the uh, early 7th century. So it's kind of fallen out of favor. But John Climacus, he's got this quote in there. He says, uh, he who says that he loves the Lord but is angry with his brother is like a man who dreams that he is running. And I think that's really helpful. So, dreams that, so he's dreaming that he's running, but he's not actually running. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to apply that logic to what Jesus has just said about his teaching. Someone who says they love Jesus but don't, doesn't actually do what he teaches is like someone who dreams they're running. I think that's helpful. It dreams that they are running. Okay, continuing verse 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth. Okay, so... It's interesting, Jesus has said he's going to depart from them, but he's going to give them another helper, capital H, helper in our translation here, to be with you forever. So if Jesus is about to physically leave them, and there's going to be this helper who actually will be with them forever, then that's probably something that's going to be very comforting to them. So who is this helper? Well, uh, this helper is none other than the Holy Spirit. Now, this isn't me guessing at it. It's because Jesus actually specifically says that further on down in verse uh, 26. And so we're going to get there. But this is the Holy Spirit who will be with them forever. Now, I want to uh, say a few things about the Holy Spirit because it's, a, as I said earlier, not a topic that we, we talk about a ton, probably should, should more. So we need to kind of understand some big picture things about what's going on here. So here's a diagram uh, that you see in various versions over the years. It's helpful. It's well-known. Not three gods, but one God in three persons, three personas. Okay, so you see in the middle it says God. It's a bit tricky to read. Uh, this is a diagram redrawn by Deborah Bazio Riley. At the top it says Father. The Father is God. And then you see the Son, Jesus, is God. And then in the green, the, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is God. But you'll, so there's this, there's this um, unity uh, in the oneness of God, this divine community, so to speak. There's a oneness in that. But yet there's also distinction between the persons. And so those outside lines tell us that distinction. So the Father is not the Son. Right? So Jesus is praying to his heavenly Father. The, the Son is not the Spirit. And the Spirit is not the Father. And yet together the Father, Son, Spirit are, 
our God. So I think that's helpful. Now, before I get into specifically, okay, yeah, but who is the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do in our lives? Before I get to that, I want to say a word about words. Just because some of you were raised with uh, a different phrasing, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, right? Some of those older translations of the Bible. If you were to say that today to people who don't know the tradition, this is probably what they would think of. Uh, <laughs> Ghostbusters. Who are you going to call a Ghostbuster? They think of that or they think of Casper the Friendly Ghost or something like that. The idea is, is a spirit is a real being which is invisible, or a real, a real being who is invisible. And so English language changes over time. You know, sick used to refer to illness. Now it means, you know. So there's so many different uh, words that kind of evolve over time, and spirit is one of them. So spirit most captures this. But okay, who is the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do? What we're going to do is have a, a three-part kind of evolving definition as we kind of draw out the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit does uh, in the lives of believers. So here's part one. The Spirit is God himself, active and alive today in the world generally and in the lives of Christians specifically. So the Spirit isn't an it, the Spirit is a who. And that's the language that is actually used in the New Testament, personhood, alive, active. This is God today in the world generally. So our God in the person of the Spirit will go around doing things in the world. God is God. But there's a special thing that happens in the lives of Christians. So when someone, uh, which, isn't, which is not true for everybody, so um, you come to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. Uh, he did actually raise from the dead. Uh, and and, he, and he's, he's in charge. My ultimate allegiance is to him. He's the Lord of my life. The Holy Spirit starts to dwell within Jesus' people. And not just one person, but many people. God is omnipresent, so God can be multiple places at the same time. God isn't limited by geography as we are. But in the lives of Christians specifically, and Jesus here says, right in verse uh, 17, he dwells with you and will be in you. But this is other places as well. We could think of 1 Corinthians three sixteen. Paul, the Apostle Paul writes, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? And so there's a variety of, of, of passages that we could come across, but that's the idea, okay? Indwelling of the Holy Spirit. God active alive. Part two. So we're going to insert the word holy before the word spirit, and then we're going to add, in the lives of Christians specifically, for a special kind of work. Now, the word holy means set apart for a special purpose. Something that's set apart for a special purpose, and that applies also to God's people. And we don't tend to like the word holy because we think holier than thou. That's the culture's way of kind of... um, Uh, defecating on biblical concepts for the people of God, okay? The Holy Spirit, uh, you are set apart for a special purpose. Camouflage is great for hunting, not for discipleship, okay? The idea isn't to blend in. So we're going to be holy. We are going to be distinct. We have this special kind of purpose in work in the world, okay? So part three, to kind of into part three, I want to highlight these words from Genesis uh, 1, I want to highlight uh, this. I think it's a great illustration. I thank Scottish theologian Sinclair Ferguson for it. But he draws our attention to the very first part of the Bible, which is very famous, very well known. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form or formless in the NIV translation and void or empty in the NIV translation. And darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So this is the first time, so the Spirit of God is mentioned very early uh, in the biblical story, right in verse verse 2. And here's what he points out. He says, this is kind of like a thematic verse for the work of the Spirit 
in the world generally, and then in our lives as Christians. And here's, here's the connection. And so things are formless and empty. And so therefore, in contrast to that, the Holy Spirit works order and purpose. Order stands in contrast to formlessness. And purpose stands in contrast to emptiness. And as you go through the Bible, you're going to see this, this godly order and design, which is the work of the Spirit, in the world generally and in our lives. And then also, as opposed to emptiness and wandering meanderness, God is actually working a loving purpose in, our, in the lives of Christians in and through them specifically. So that brings us to the third part of the uh, definition. The Holy Spirit is God himself, active and alive today in the world generally and in the lives of Christians specifically for a special kind of work, semicolon, or sorry, colon, to bring order and purpose. So a couple words about the words order, of pur- order and purpose. Now, <clears throat> some people will hear the word order and they don't like that word. That sounds like some stodgy, militant coach when you were 10 and you had a bad game and you just had to do laps the next practice like that. Order, right? No. The opposite of order isn't freedom. The opposite of order is chaos and violence. Chaos and violence is contrasted with order, okay? Um, And I think we all know this. I think we all like a situation where there is design and order that we might flourish, and that we might uh, live well as, as humans in community with, with one another. Here's an example. Let's say you're a supply teacher. And on Monday morning, you get called into a school, and there's two different cl- kindergarten classes that you could supply in. And you get to learn a little, about, a little bit about each of those uh, classes before you get to choose which one you want to go into. And the first one is the class of uh, Mrs. Kinder's. And um, <clears throat> that's nice. So the kids call her, you know, Mrs. Kinders or Becky or whatever. And, um, you know, she just wants them to live their best lives and just express themselves and just wants to love on them. And and classroom looks kind of disheveled a little bit. And the kids kind of wander in and out. And there's some troubles. And there's a couple different candy jars, different places around the room. The second kindergarten class is run by Mrs. Jones. Uh, and the kids call her Mrs. Jones or ma'am. And, uh, you know, there's, there's kind of an order in, in the room, and there's, there's a certain calm. It's not perfect, but on the board at the front, on the whiteboard, there's a list of kind of agreed upon, mutually agreed upon rules. And, and the kids have all signed on to this because they realize that certain things need to occur. If this is going to be a place where they're going to achieve their shared goals of, of learning and, and health and all those sorts of things. Which class would you want to go into? I'm guessing probably nine times out of ten, you probably want to go into Mrs. Jones' class. So that's a word about God's order and design, which is for our good. The second word, purpose, is specifically loving purpose. Now, Elie Wiesel, some of you will know, who he was a Holocaust survivor. Uh, he's written about his experience in a book called Night. He's written a variety of books. A uh, man of profound wisdom. One year he was speaking to a graduating class, And he was talking about love, and he said, the opposite of love isn't hate. The opposite of love is apathy. Apathy. Not caring. Right? And so, as people of God, all this makes sense, right? 
Because maybe before we, we, we have come to faith in Jesus, and we have some good things in our lives, but maybe not. It was more characterized now, looking back, by a kind of wandering, a kind of formlessness, or a kind of void. Maybe, what is my purpose? I don't know. I should be a nice person, I guess. Who really knows? But all of a sudden, all of a sudden, realize, wait a second, I'm a part of the powerful things that God is working in the world. There's actually an order and design that he has put in place. And actually, when I cooperate with the Spirit, I'm glorifying God. I am learning more about him. I am following him in the loving footsteps of Jesus. And all of a sudden, there is purpose. And so, design and order and purpose for God's purpose in the world. Okay? Um, And this happens sometimes all at once. Uh, Sometimes there's a powerful change in people. I know someone who, who, if they become a Christian, there's a powerful change, the Holy Spirit working very powerfully. Sometimes it is a more incremental change where you see God working. I was in the mall, I guess last year, and I walked past someone. I didn't recognize them, but when we had walked past each other, I heard my name, Matthew. And I turned around, and the guy said, it's Luke. And this was someone I played hockey with like 20 years ago. And so, I'm surprised he recognized me, actually. But anyway, uh, he did. Anyway, so we, we got a coffee, we sat down, we were talking, and it was like, wow, we, we had changed so much, different things in our lives and everything else. Um, but if, I had, if, I had, if we had kept playing hockey together, if we had stayed in the same town, if we worked at the same company, I wouldn't notice anything different about him because I'm seeing all those change in little increments. Um, but when you don't see someone for a long time, it's like, oh, oh wow, there's a, there's a lot of change. And I think this is a helpful way to think about the Spirit's work in our lives because sometimes we can get frustrated. We're not seeing all this dramatic change all at once. Sometimes that does occur. And sometimes it's more these incremental things that we might not see because we are in our own lives every single day. We are in the own lives of the people around us every single day. Uh, but change evolves through the power of the Spirit. Okay, so the next thing I want to do is I want to focus on that word helper. See, we really are spending a lot of time in these first three verses this morning, the bulk of our time. And I'm going to invite you into the world of a Bible student and teacher, okay, about how difficult it is historically this word is to translate that Jesus here calls helper. Okay, so I'm going to put something up on the screen here. It's small. You can't see most of it. But I think it gives you a sense of what is going on. So let me explain. So this is some of my own Bible study software. And so it's really cool. So it's this program, and the top line is the oldest manuscripts are in Greek. And so that's the top line. And so when I launch the program, all what you'll see down is those are all subsequent English translations of the Bible. So Bible scholar translation teams get together. And so there's the ESV, the NIV, the CSB, the NET, the New King James, the NLT, the NRSV, the King James. And the cool thing, as soon as you click down, all these verses change. So you can just go to anywhere in the Bible, and you're seeing how these translation teams are translating passages. really helps with biblical study. So this is this verse about um, the Holy Spirit being called the helper. So only in John's Gospel, only between chapters 14 and 16, does Jesus give a very specific title to the Holy Spirit. It's called the paraclete which is here translated as helper. So what you see circled up there in the top is the Greek word parakleton, uh, dictionary form parakletos. And so I've, I've put some arrows down. So this is all the ways that the English translation teams are trying to translate that word, and it's very difficult. And lexographers, who are people who study words and translation and everything else, what they've been, they've been saying, you know what, there's not one perfect one-to-one translation for this word, and so really what we need to keep in mind is a variety of these translations to get the kind of the scope and the breadth and the goodness of what the Holy Spirit is doing in and through the people of Jesus. Okay, so the ESV translated as helper, so does the New King James. Uh, the blue underlines, that's the NIV, the CSB, they say counselor. The NET translation the N- and the uh, 
So the NET and the NLT and the NRSV say advocate, and then the bottom, the King James says comforter, and if you advance it one slide, you could also say that uh, is encourager as well. So let's, let's think of all the ways that the paraclete is working in and through believers. So the first word is helper. So how does the Holy Spirit help us? Well, certainly in a general sense, but remember that this is spoken by Jesus in the very next breath of saying, hey, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And we're like, what? That's, that's hard. How can we do that? Well, he's saying, hey, I might not physically be with you, but I will send the Holy Spirit who will enable you to do it. And so if you've ever been able to love somebody in your family, a stranger, a neighbor, show hospitality, kind of, all these sorts of things, that's not you doing that. That is the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, working in and through you, enabling it to do it, and it's the gift of God. The next word is counselor. Okay, that's the NIV, the CSB. How does he counsel you? Well, the Holy Spirit counsels you in all truth, which is why, in the very next breath, it's called the Spirit of Truth. Counsels you in all truth. We are literally blind spiritually unless the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to perceive things about God and about the world, about the Bible, about right and wrong, about light and darkness. We are literally spiritually blind. We cannot do it unless the Holy Spirit opens our eyes and enables us to do so. Thank you, God. The next word that the NET and the NLT and the NRSV translate for parakletos is advocate. And so think of an advocate and a legal trial, and you've got an advocate. The advocate speaks on your behalf to the judge, and the advocate better know what they are doing. They know the right words to say. They have your best interests in heart, and so the Holy Spirit represents you before God, which you cannot do for yourself. Imagine us stammering before God. We have an advocate, and a part of this is an intercessor. Think of that wonderful line in Romans 8, uh, verse 26. The Apostle Paul writes, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness, right, with sighs too deep for words. You don't know what to pray sometimes. You're weary, you're worn, your prayers are stammering and stumbling. Well, guess what? Right there in the very throne room of God, the Holy Spirit is interceding for you. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. And then finally, uh, comforter or encourager. So for one, there's this eternal comfort of having peace with God and forgiveness with God. Um, that's the Holy Spirit giving that to us. We don't have that assurance or confidence on our own. Um, also encouraging us. So let's say that you're feeling down. Uh, well, who, 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 but you turn a corner. Who do you think is doing that? Or you need a word of encouragement at a particular time and someone happens to come along. You read a word of scripture or a coach or a pastor or a friend or a parent or a best friend at school says something. Praise you, God. Thank you for encouraging us by the power of your spirit. All right, continuing, verse 18. Yet I will not leave you as orphans, because he loves us. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest or show myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, so not Iscariot, and so uh, it's clearly not Iscariot because Iscariot has gone to do the betrayal. Um, Judas then was a common name, now not so much. Like no one in the right mind names their kid Judas anymore. But then it was a common name, so, not, so this is most likely Thaddeus. Sometimes people had two names, Simon, Peter, Simon, Peter. Um, this is Judas Thaddeus. 
Um, Lord, how is it that you manifest yourself, yourself, yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. The father will love him. We, the father and the son, will come to him and make our home with him. That is just so beautiful. And a sign of God's great love for us. <clears throat> if someone in a romantic context says, hey, I want to make my home with you. I want to share those decisions. I want to share the journey, share the ups and the downs. That's what God wants to do in our lives. Make his home with us. Verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, paraclete, the Holy Spirit, here's that detail, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So I want to pause on this uh, verse quickly for a second because when it comes to trusting what the Bible says, this is one of the most significant verses in the Bible, which is also one of the most neglected, and I don't know why. So think about who is sitting in this room right now with Jesus. John the Apostle, who preserves for us the Gospel of John, he's, sitting, he's listening to Jesus. A Matthew, the Apostle, who... who is in this room who gives us the gospel of Matthew. Peter is in this room who shares his teachings with uh, Mark, who writes the gospel of Mark. Uh, Luke tells us in chapter 1 that as he went about to write his gospel, he sought eyewitnesses and servants of the word. And so presumably some of those people are in the room with Jesus. These are the people that Jesus is talking to. First of all, they're more educated than we've been led to believe. Second, if they're unsure about something, they could have asked Jesus for clarity. Third, they could have asked each other. Fourth, even after the resurrection, there's so many living witnesses of the resurrection around in the stories. They could have asked each other. Here, on top of all that, Jesus says the Holy Spirit will intervene to help you to remember everything I have said to you. Not some of what I've said to you. The Holy Spirit will intervene miraculously in the lives of the apostles so they will remember everything Jesus said to them and they will record it down for the preservation of these stories and sayings for all of us. Thanks be to God. This should give us increasing confidence in the types of things we are reading in the Gospels. Then he gives them the standard Jewish greeting. Peace, shalom, I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I just want to pause quickly here because some people see this and they scratch their heads and they're like, well, um, isn't Jesus divine as well? Back in chapter 10, he said that he's one with his heavenly Father, and we've been reading all these things about his divinity. We've been talking about them. So what's going on? This sounds like Jesus is maybe less than divine. So when you look at the context, here's most likely what's going on. Jesus is speaking about the glory of his heavenly Father, and Jesus is here contrasting that with him in his own incarnated state. So Philippians 2 tells us is that Jesus empties himself, taking the form of a servant, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so I think Jesus is here referring to his incarnated state. He and his heavenly Father are the same in essence and being. But here Jesus, in his incarnated state, has a subordinate function um, as one who comes to the cross on our um, behalf. I think that's what's going on there. Verse 21, And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. 
I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. Um, uh, an allusion to Satan. Um, Satan specifically, most likely Judas is coming soon, and Judas has been cooperating with Satan. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So last week we talked about Jesus' earthly life and so many of the things that maybe part of his background, his difficult life on earth that we maybe haven't talked about very much. And we talked about why would he do that? Why would he come to earth right, and endure all the difficulties that he did? Why would he be born in this stinky manger? Why would he be born under Roman oppression? Why would he be uh, born in a time under the murderous you know, King Herod? Why flee with Mary and Joseph to Egypt as refugees, then go back up to Nazareth and eke out a meager living in this hamlet of a town? And as he grows up and as he starts his public ministry, you know, he, he does all this and he, he gets spat upon and ridiculed and mocked and tortured and flayed and crucified. Everything else. Why? And where we landed was that he did it because he loves you. He does it for us to die in our place, to restore us into that relationship with God. And the reason I want to make that connection to today here is because so loving is God toward us is that Jesus leaves physically and he loves us so much that he sends his spirit to live within his people for us to help us in all of the ways that we've talked about. He will not leave us as orphans as he himself says in the next verse. Such is his powerful, good, and glorious love for us. He does not leave us alone. Jesus, Lord of the universe, has this pastoral tone for us. So let's say that you have a child and you want to have that child to ride a bike and they've never seen a bike before. What do you do? You just put them on the bike and just say, have fun. What if someone wants to be a nurse and there's a 19-year-old guy and he wants to be a nurse and so you give him some, some hospital scrubs. You say, okay, Monday morning, show up at the hospital, third floor. Here's the key to the medicine cabinet. Have fun. You don't know. So what we do is like God loves us. He teaches us through his word, through the church, through worship, community of faith, other godly people, through the world. And he sends most of all his, his, his own Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit to come and be with us to help us in all these ways. Let's be reminded of this list, all these different things. The Holy Spirit is within you, helping you for your good and for God's glory. And that's just what I want us to keep and take away from this. The Holy Spirit is within you, as a disciple of Jesus, helping you, this is a position of love, helping you for your good, it's for your good as you get on the order and design a purpose that God has intended for the world and for your life specifically. Right? Think of all the ways. Go back to our little Bible study for a second. The paraclete, the helper, he's helping you. This is how much he cares for you and how he's working through. Helps you in a general sense also to keep his commands and to follow Jesus. Counseling you into all truth without which we are spiritually blind. Advocating for us before the throne room of God himself. Also interceding us when we can't even pray for ourselves. He's comforting us and encouraging us with all these eternal promises and assurances and even on a daily basis. The Holy Spirit is within you, helping you for your good and for God's glory. And so I just want to leave kind of three things with you. And the first is just a reminder about how loved you are. That Jesus would come, endure everything he did because he loves you. He's not content to be at a distance. He comes in the flesh because he loves you to do all the things that we've talked about. So you are loved. The second thing is a question I just invite you to ask if you are a genuine disciple. And I assume that, that most of you are, but maybe there's some people who are new. Maybe there's some curious onlookers, maybe here or online. 
And, and I just want to reiterate that this is God's love for us, but this, the way the Holy Spirit functions here is specifically for believers. And so, <clears throat> wait a second, do, is this just something I like? Do I just like some of the songs? Does it make me feel nice? Um, I just, this is what I've always done. Or, or wait a second, is Jesus actually who he said he was? Did he actually accomplish what he said he set out to accomplish on the cross? And have I made him my fundamental allegiance? If so, the gift of the Holy Spirit is for you. And the third question is, is simply a question, are you, are you cooperating with the Holy Spirit? Because I think sometimes what happens is that we, we don't realize the Holy Spirit is working through us, and we, in our sinful state, we resist what the Holy Spirit might be trying to do in our lives. We're kind of push against it. <clears throat> and so we want to be cooperating. So I'm going to leave you with kind of a little prayer up here. Uh, next slide. A Holy Spirit, tune me into your frequency. So this is something that's so short we can memorize it. And this is something that we can pray. Tune me into your frequency. I want to be, I want to be on the Holy Spirit's channel. I want to be cooperating, and I need God's help to help me cooperate with the ways he's working in and through my life because of his great love. So final thought, A.J. Gordon was uh, looking across a field, and he saw this guy, um, the other end of the field, kind of pumping water into a bucket. That's water pump. He's pumping water into this bucket, and he's just going, and like, this guy's not getting tired, and as A.J. Gordon, the closer he gets to him, he knows the guy's not slowing down at all. He's just pumping and pumping and pumping. That's kind of strange. Anyway, this water is gushing out into this bucket. And as he gets closer to him, he realizes this actually isn't a person. This is actually a wooden cutout of a person. And there's two hinges at the shoulder and the elbow. And he's like, what is going on? Because there's clearly water being pumped out. A, a wooden figure can't do that. And so he goes much, much closer, and he finds out that it's an artesian well, which is like where water naturally bubbles up out of the earth. And so some clever person has come along, uh, maybe someone from town, maybe a farmer, <clears throat> and they said, you know what would be really awesome to do is to construct this kind of wooden person beside, put these joints on the arm, and make it look like this guy's pumping water that's naturally coming out of the ground anyway. And so it looked like the man was pumping the water, but really the water was pumping the man. It looked like the man was pumping the water, but really the water was pumping the man. Now, it's interesting. Jesus uses a metaphor for the Holy Spirit in chapter 7, living water, Okay? So here's the thing. We might be doing things, and it looks like we're doing things. We're volunteering here. We're helping there. We're providing hospitality to someone or to a group of people. Uh, we're trying to love other people. We're, we're helping in worship. We're doing all these things that we're trying to and we're called to do. And to the outside world, it might look like we're doing all these things. But we're not. It's the Holy Spirit pouring out those rivers of living water through his people, he does not leave us as orphans. He loves us, cares for us, and works through us. Holy Spirit, tune me into your frequency. The Holy Spirit is within you, helping you for your good and for God's glory. Praise be to God. Amen.